Ben asked me at the end of last year, will you, will you come and preach in January? I said, sure. And he said, it's going to be our first service for the year, so come and bring something to really set us up for the other. Oh, no pressure. Like, so I've been thinking about it and praying about it, and um, uh, I decided I actually don't care. Um, and what I mean by that is um, I... I spent some time praying about, God, what are you saying to me for this year? So I actually want to be, get a bit personal today and tell you what I think God's saying to me and maybe for us corporately. Does that make sense? Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the rest that we've had. We thank you for the break that we've had. We thank you for everything that's happened to lead us here today. Lord, we thank you for our, our nation. We thank you for our First Nations people who have been custodians of this land for a long time. We pray for them and we pray for us, Lord, again, for reconciliation in this land, that you will do something about healing the gaping wound at the heart of our nation. Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who meet all over the world today, and some of them in public, but some of them in secret in caves and in basements and in back rooms we pray for them and the persecution they face and we ask Lord that we won't take this moment of gathering for granted Holy Spirit speak to us give us ears to hear what you would say to the church today we ask it in your name Amen. So I think what you're going to get today is like a random collection of thoughts that hopefully hold together. Okay? If they don't hold together, um, that's because God just wants you to have a part of it and all the other parts you can ignore. That's my disclaimer at the start. Um, so I, I was praying about, God, what do, you, what do you want to say to me for this year? And... Um, there were two words really that came to mind and the first one, um, the first word is trust. And I don't know what happens when you think about trust and trust uh, in terms of biblical sense, but my brain automatically always goes to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, um, which is a lovely Sunday school verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he'll make your path straight. Except there's that other bit in the middle that we often skip. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That's quite confronting and challenging. Trust is a hard thing to do. Because I don't know about you, but I like to sort of make sure everything's working the way I want it to work in my life and in, in ministry, in my job, in all the different things. I actually want to make sure that, that I sort of have some semblance of control over those things. And to do that, then I sort of need to spend a lot of time trying to work out what's actually going on and understand what's going on. And my brain, uh, I'm an activist and, and um, my brain keeps spinning all the time and I'm con constantly trying to work out what's going on and keep all the pieces together. You like that? I think if COVID 
um, and anything the last three years has taught us is that like, we have no idea what's around the corner. We can't quite be in control of things the way we like to be. Bill Johnson, do you guys know Bill Johnson, American pastor? He says, uh, if you want the peace that passes understanding, then you have to give up the right to understand. Isn't that great? Because at the heart of this idea of trust is the idea that, God, you are in control and I'm not. And I actually don't need to understand what's going on to trust you. In fact, the more I try to grasp hold of understanding, the harder it is to trust God. Now, what I thought I'd do today is, you know, they told us in preaching school that we should always give illustrations. And I thought, you know, Vicky and I have been around this church for a while now, and, um, and now that we've moved into the neighbourhood, probably you'll see us a bit more. Um, but you probably don't know much of our story. So I thought I might just tell you a bit of my story. Is that okay? To give a bit of context to what I want to lead us to in the end. So I first felt a call from God towards some sort of full-time ministry when I was seven years old. Um, It was really distinct. Um, And I remember it all through, like, it sort of shaped the rest of my life from the time I was seven years old, back in the Victorian era. Now, before the Victorian era, <laughs> she's now making rude signs at me. We're in church, Vicky. Um, and it sort of shaped. I, I remember, like, when I went through high school, I had this idea that if God was calling me to ministry, I should really equip myself somehow. And all the pastors that I knew, uh, the, the general story, it's not so much today, but back then the story was uh, you train as a teacher, you teach for a while, and then you go into Bible college and become a pastor. Like lots of pastors started out as teachers in the education system. Oh, that's what I should do. Right? I, should, I should become a teacher so that then I can become a good pastor. And so um, that was my aim from the time I was in, um, uh, in high school. I was working towards becoming a teacher. Uh, I got to year 12 and I got really, really sick. And I missed... I think it was about eight or ten weeks of year 12 because I was in hospital having surgery and uh, was constantly unwell. And um, what I should have done was just taken a year off and recovered and gone back and done year 12 again. But I didn't. I kept pushing through and I failed dismally, like really badly. And um, so I thought, no, no, but God wants me to be a teacher because I need to be a pastor or I need to do some sort of mission work or something. So I... um, I went back and repeated year 12 and I passed and I got into Teachers College and I um, probably should have had a gap year. Gap years weren't all that um, prominent back then but I probably should have because I was just tired and I got into Teachers College and I discovered that I hated it. Not the actual teaching, I did really well. They threw us into a classroom really quickly and I liked that bit and I, you know, I'm an extrovert so I don't mind being up front and talking to a bunch of people which has turned out pretty well actually. And um, uh, But... I hated the stuff they were teaching us. They weren't teaching us how to be teachers. Like, I remember, I, I did maths one and two in year 12, right? I, I really liked maths and I really was good with numbers and I, I got to teachers college and I'm sitting in this uh, workshop every Tuesday morning with people that also just finished year 12 who needed me to teach them how to do primary school maths. Uh, these are the people that teach your kids now, right? 
and I discovered that the whole subject about primary school maths was not learning how to teach primary school maths, it was learning primary school maths. And there were people in my class, you know, they, I don't know what they're called, because I didn't stay at teachers' college long enough, but those little things that were like the, the little blocks, the ones and the tens and the, you know, those, remember, the, you had, I had people that couldn't make numbers. I'd get these blocks and make 4,322. They go, I don't know. Couldn't do long division. No one could do long division these days either, but, you know. Um, but it was just so frustrating that the whole system was broken and I, I didn't do well in my first year. I just hated it. I wasn't engaged and I, um, I w- left and I went, um, uh, had the summer break, came back to start second year and really, really didn't like it. And I said to my parents, that's it, I'm out. And they said, we're happy for you to leave, but you need to have a job first. Because that's what parents say, Right. Uh, so it, well, it is good advice it didn't feel like good advice and anyway m- miraculously managed to get a job very quickly working for John Martins and that's a whole other story because that involves Christmas pageants and dressing up as a clown and um, another part of my personality that's very connected so um, but the day after I dropped out of college I dropped out of college on the on the Friday it was a started a new job on the Monday and the next Sunday I was at a state gathering of Baptist youth uh, and uh, they started advertising a mission trip to Zimbabwe. And I really felt God say, this is what I want you to go. And I realised that um, now that I was working, I could actually afford to go. Like if I was still studying, I wouldn't have been able to go on this trip. And you can see just how God weaves these things together. So I go on this mission trip to Zimbabwe, uh, spend four and a half weeks in Africa, which was just amazing. Uh, and I'm thinking, this is it, right? This is the start of my mission journey. Like, this is where I'm going to learn all about being a missionary for four weeks, and I'm going to come back and study and do all those things, and then I'm going to be back in Africa because that's where God wants me to be. And I remember out in the middle of nowhere in Zimbabwe, driving along on this long drive in, in the bus that we were in, and I, there was an Australian missionary who was showing us around and looking after, and I was sitting in the front of the bus with him, and I sat back and he says, you know, Steve, there's two types of people that we really need for the mission field. And I thought, oh, here we go. Like, this is, this is going to be the conversation that shapes everything. And he said, um, there's, there's the people who come, and then there's the people who equip others to come. He said, I think you're more of that one. And I went, oh. Turns out he was right. And... Uh, what God has done in my life since then has made me a person who equips others to go. Which is actually like this multiplication of me. I could have gone, but I think I'm actually more effective equipping others to go. Multiplies ministry. Anyway, so so I came back. Uh, Vicky and I had known each other. Victoria and I had known each other uh, for a while. Came back. She was supposed to go on that trip, but uh, some circumstances meant that she didn't. And... uh, uh, came back, I was working at John Martin's where she stalked me, her and her mother stalked me. Um, didn't you? Look, Vicky, you look over here. Vicky says no, her mother says yes. Vicky used to work around the corner. I, used to, I worked in menswear, so I would buy, Vicky would come in and buy jumpers off of me, men's jumpers, right? I, I, like in her lunch break. And then... <laughs> And then two days later, her mum and her mum's parents would come and return them. 
Yeah, they were, see? So I was chased down and eventually I gave in. And, um, and Vicky and I got married. But, so I'd had this sense of call on my life since I was seven that I was going to do something in ministry. Vicky had always had this innate sense that she was going to marry a pastor or a missionary. And, you know, we'd been friends for a very long time and um, eventually started dating and got married. And within a year or so of being married, uh, this really strong sense of God calling us into, um, into Bible college. Again, still thinking it was going to be about missionaries. But we decided really early in our marriage, this is the point I wanted to get to, we decided really early in our marriage that we were just going to say yes to God. We were just going to say yes. Right now, at the start of our marriage, at the start of our relationship, whatever you want for us, God, we're just going to say yes to. So the only decision we have to make now into the future is, is this God speaking or isn't it? If it is God, we've already said yes. We don't need to think about a yes or no decision anymore. We just have to learn how to hear God's voice. If God says that it's him, then our answer is yes. And that's led us into these crazy adventures all over South Australia and all over the world, pastoring and speaking and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and it led us into long-term pastoral ministry in Wyala. And at the end of that, 10, ten years ago, uh, nearly 10 years ago, we've been back in Adelaide nine years, um, we sensed this, again, God saying it's time to pull up stumps here in Wyala and move back to Adelaide to do something different with church. And um, it was pretty crazy. Like, we both quit our jobs. Vicky had a really great job at one of the high schools as a youth worker. I was uh, pastoring Baptist Church there, and uh, uh, it was a great place. Um, but we both quit our jobs. We both started looking at how we would move back to Adelaide. Um, we couldn't sell our house, and so we found some tenants to go in the house right at the last minute, like, found tenants to go into the house. Uh, my favourite story of that move is that we had to rent somewhere in Adelaide, and we... Um, we, the rules are, still are, renting is impossible now, but it was hard back then. They were, you weren't allowed to apply for a place unless you actually physically saw it. When you're 400 kilometres away, that's tricky, right? So Vicky was sometimes doing two trips a week down to Adelaide just to look at a house for five minutes and decide whether we would apply. Like, it was just nuts. Anyway, we had some friends that found a house for us. We said, look, you know, here's a house. Can you Before we come all the way down, can you go and have a look at it? And she went and had a look and she went, this place is perfect for you. In fact, it's not open yet, but I just happened to drive past. I just felt like I needed to drive past. So I was going to do it after dinner, but I just dropped everything and went. And um, the removalists were there and the, and the people who were leaving that house were moving out. And I said hello to them and they let me have a look through the house for you. And it's perfect. You need So we came down, looked at it, had this long chat with the real estate agent put in an application that we'd already pre-filled and then um, uh, drove back to Wyala thinking, you know, we're moving into, we're supposed to be moving in a couple of weeks now. God, we need a house. And um, she rang me on the Friday morning and said, the house is yours, but you need the bond and the, uh, the first two weeks rent and all that sort of stuff. And that emptied our bank account. Right, that was our moving money in one sense, but it was gone. Our bank account was down to less than $100 because we just spent all this money, transferred it all. I thought, what am I going to do? And I'm sitting my, in my office at work and uh, a friend from out of town turned up. He said, oh, I was just passing through doing some stuff, but I thought I'd come and see you. 
Um, my wife and I are just really excited about what you guys are doing. Um, and, um, you know, we, we think, we just want to bless you somehow. And he handed me a check for $5,000. Just slid it across the desk. Well, I just spent $4,000. And God had given us that back plus more. And we had this situation where things were just going wrong in the whole move and every time something went wrong, God just did something to make it, to fix it. Overnight sometimes, within hours, within minutes sometimes. And I, I got to the point of thinking, am I being arrogant? Am I being, am I being presumptuous that it's almost like when something else went wrong, it was like, Haha, okay, God, how are you going to fix this one? And he just did. It was just this season of God answering prayers before we'd even prayed them. It's amazing and we just knew that God was calling us back to Adelaide and we knew that God was opening up the way and then all sorts of crazy stuff happened when we were in Adelaide including um, the tenants that we put into our house stopped paying rent. I don't know if you've ever had that issue but it's not easy to fix and so we had six months of the tenants not paying rent. By the time we got sorted out, got them, got, had to go to the tribunal and have them evicted. Have all, and then when they left, they totally trashed the house. It was insured, sort of. Um, but it cost us, I think, something like $20,000 to fix the house. Maxed out our credit cards, all the money we had in the bank, just to be able to get some new tenants back in there to try and pay the bills. And we were under this financial stress. Ever been under financial stress? It's really tough when you're just not sure how you're going to pay the bills. And so um, we uh, were about to get new tenants in there at the same time as Wyala collapsed. The, the steelworks went into administration. Lots of people lost their jobs. Lots of people left town. And housing prices dropped um, significantly overnight. Our house lost nearly $200,000 in value overnight. So now we had a mortgage that we couldn't pay. We had new tenants coming in. Of course, housing prices dropped, so did rental prices. And rather than $400 a week rent, we were now getting $250 a week rent. So that wasn't enough to cover the mortgage. And eventually it got so bad that we actually lost our house and ended up in bankruptcy. All because we said yes to following Jesus. So here we are. In our early 50s, late 40s, early 50s, late 40s, early 50s, um, and, and we were starting all over again, lost everything. What's going on, God? What does it mean to trust you? You see, trusting God is easy when you can sort of control everything. Trusting God's easy when you have the resources to trust God. Trusting God's easy when there's enough money in the bank to pay the bills and to put food on the table and all those things. When you don't have that stuff, trusting God's a whole lot harder. If you want the peace that passes understanding, you have to give up the right to understand. And so like, that was a really difficult time. There was pressure on our family. There was pressure on our relationship. There's pressure on our finances. And then we, we go through this season of 
uh, officially being bankrupt, which means uh, things like uh, you go, you need a new mobile phone and you go to uh, get a new mobile phone contract and it's declined because you, because you don't have a good credit rating or because you're currently bankrupt. I was going overseas for work. I had to get permission to leave the country. Just little things, right? But there's these restrictions. God, you said this was going to be great. Remember following Jesus and the sky is bluer and the grass is greener and the birds just sing around and follow you and all the animals just follow you. know, We have this picture of, of it's okay to trust God when things are great. What do you do? How do you trust God when things aren't great? What does that mean as parents for your kids? And so... We learned this lesson about trusting. So that's the first word that God gave me for this year, trust. So I think, oh God, why are you, at the start of 2023 when we have no idea what this year is going to look like, why are you telling me the most important thing is trust? That scares me a little, God. Right? You know the old saying, don't pray and ask God for patience because God will give you the opportunity to practice patience. So when God says trust, I already start to go, what's 2023 got ahead for us? What's it going to look like? We really don't know. We really don't know. And anyone that tells you they know what this year is going to be like has no idea. Don't listen to them. But what we do know is this. We can trust God. Which led me to the second word that... um, that God gave me and this was on New Year's Eve we were actually hanging out with some friends and uh, Victoria decided that we should all just stop and pray for a while Pastor Victoria decided we should stop and pray for a while and um, uh, we were just sitting quietly just thinking about the new year and praying together and what was coming and uh, the word God gave me was contentment be content and led me to this passage in Philippians, which I want to read to you. So this is, this is real Bible, just so you make it legal and all those sort of things. Um, Philippians 4. And it's actually Paul, Paul is writing to the Philippians, thanking them for a gift that they'd given him, right? He, he was a missionary. He was out church planting and doing these things. And this church in Philippi had supported him. And this is his thank you letter. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. It seems like they'd stopped supporting him and they started again. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this idea of contentment, it doesn't matter whether we've got lots or whether we've got little. It doesn't matter whether things are going well or things are going poorly. Um, I mean, Julie, your picture of the reed for Vicky is exactly this image, right? If we get our roots down deep, then it doesn't matter what the wind does. And my encouragement to us for this year is to stop thinking about what the wind is doing. 
to stop looking at the circumstances around us because they just are what they are and they just will be what they will be. So my prophetic word for us for this year, you can write this down if you want to, give up. Give up. You may as well give up. Worrying. You may as well give up trying to control things. I remember when, when COVID first hit, I'd been working for Baptist World Aid for not for very long and our, our CEO at the time just said, strap yourselves in guys, this is a five-year journey now. And we all went, oh, sure. Well, we're three years in, right? Does it feel like it's over? We want to ignore it. We all want to sort of get back to normal and make out it's not happening. But it, like, you know, I was trying to think, I can't think of the name. I was talking with Ben about this before, the the new variant, they've given it some catastrophic name, they're calling it something or other, I can't remember what it is now, um, but you know, like it's just like, here we go again. There are nations all over the world that are still struggling with COVID. We have more people dying now than there were three years ago of COVID. Look what's happening in China, right? If as many people in China get infected with COVID as they think they are, it's going to be like 10% of the world's population. More than that, maybe. A billion people at any one time could have COVID right now. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what this year holds for us, so we may as well just give up. And learn to be content. Learn to take our cues from God, not from the world. Learn what it means to really trust in him, to to not rely on our own understanding and to acknowledge him in all our ways. I want to give you really quickly three things that I think will help us be content this year. The first is rest. And it comes right from the very start of scripture. The creation story. The creation story is written in a really specific way. We read over it so quickly now. It doesn't really register, but the creation story talks about God doing stuff, right? How God's at work. And the Spirit of God is is hovering over the deep. There are two key Genesis signs of the fingerprints of God that God's at work. The first is creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, out of mess and out of chaos God creates. And the second one is death before resurrection it was darkness and there was light the first day it was it was evening and then morning God always starts in the darkness and moves to the light God always starts with the rest and then moves to the busyness do you know that in in Jewish in the Jewish calendar in the Jewish system the new day starts at when sun goes down why is that important? It's important because of this. When we go to sleep, I don't know if you realise this, but psychologically sleep is the ultimate act of trust. Where we put all, let all our defences down. I mean, you know, we lock our doors and lock the windows and turn the alarm on and, and put, 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 the, put the strings of cans across the bedroom door and do all those things. I don't know if you have pets, Right? Anyone have a dog? Does your dog sleep on its back with its belly exposed around you? 
sometimes. For dogs, that's the ultimate act of trust, right? To expose their belly means they feel safe around you. And it's the same for us when we go to sleep. We do two things. We put our trust that we're going to wake up again. We also say to God, you know what? I'm going to stop running the world for a while and you can take over for a few hours. What if we learn to have that as our normal rhythm? God, first of all, I will trust you. And when I wake up, I will pick up the things that you tell me to pick up. And it's not laziness. I will work hard in the things that you tell me to work hard in. But I will trust you for the results. And I will start by resting. We've got to learn Sabbath. We've got to learn what it means to actually stop and trust God for a while. We have to learn what it means to be refreshed and renewed. The first one, rest. Second one, generosity. We have to approach God with open hands. We have to approach the world with open hands, not with closed fists. I don't know if you know this. You ever tried to pick, pick up sand on the beach? And the tighter you hold on to it, the more it runs through your fingers. Do you know that feeling? That we, we have to somehow stop holding on so tightly and the absolute best way to stop holding on so tightly is to give away. Be generous with our time. Be generous with our money. Be generous with our resources. Be generous with the way we live our lives. Whether that's you know, having a cup of coffee with the next door neighbour, whether that's giving money to charity, whether that's sowing into your local community, whatever those things are, live open-handedly. The good thing about doing that is we also then have our hands open for God to be able to give stuff back to us for us to be able to receive. Like I said, I work for Baptist World Aid and you remember in the... um, in the early stages of the pandemic when the government were giving lots of support, financial support for people. And the first round of that was people who were on income support, generally on uh, old age pension or some things like that. The government were giving them, uh, I think there were two lots of $750 um, payments. And um, we, uh, our, we were all in lockdown and our, um, our office was locked down in Sydney and so the mail was being delivered to someone's home and she was getting these big bags of mail twice a week dumped on her doorstep. She's got the Glen 20 out and she's sanitising them and she's opening them with gloves on and masks and all this stuff um, when we were a little bit more paranoid. And um, But over and over again we were getting checks for $750. Mainly from older people, pensioners, who were saying, I have everything I need and there are people over the, over the world that don't please take this money for the government are giving me. And over and over and, like, not just once, it happened over and over and over and over and over again. People have learned something, right? I've got enough. I don't need this, but there might be someone else that does. That's contentment. So rest, generosity. And then thirdly, find some new rhythms. Find some ways to align your life with God through prayer, through Bible reading, through acts of mercy, acts of joy, whatever they are, whatever God takes, but finding some rhythms that actually sustain us for more than just 
today. Because most of us are going into this year with the tank empty or half full. Who feels like their tank is totally full and they're totally ready for whatever 2023 has for them? (laughs) Right? And, you know, we've come out of a year where we started last year with our tanks being empty. So what are you doing right now to put some fuel into the tank? While things are relatively calm and stable now, because we don't know what's going to happen. If all you end up doing is filling up the tank and driving around with a full tank, my dad always said you could never, ever let your fuel tank get below a quarter. Otherwise it drags crap through the engine. And I don't know if that's true or not, you know. It's probably true. Let's try not to let our tanks get low. Let's find some rhythms through prayer, through worship, through being in community together. You can't do this by yourself. We're never meant to do life alone. Community is actually the heart of what we do. It's the heart of our call. So find some ways to get some fuel in the tank through some good, sustainable rhythms early this year to set yourself up for whatever may come. If all that happens is you have a a full tank for the whole year, that's fantastic. It means you can serve God better. It means you can do things. you You can do whatever God calls you to do. If things get tough again, then you've got something in the tank. And I don't just mean like, you know, if we have another pandemic or something or another, you know, war or whatever. I mean, you know, like, you know, what if you get sick? What if, what if something happens in your family? What if something goes wrong with one of your kids? You know, like all those things that just drain us. Now's the time to get some fuel in the tank through some good practices and good rhythms and good spiritual disciplines. There's always darkness before the dawn. There's always rest. Rest is the ultimate act of trust. And when we trust God, when we really trust God, then we can live a life that's content. And it doesn't matter what the wind does. It doesn't matter what the circumstances around us are like. Our roots are deep and we'll survive and we'll thrive. So there we go. 2023, give up. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that the last few years have been tough and we haven't known what it's been about. We haven't understood everything, but we know, Lord, that we don't need to understand things to trust you. And so, Lord, at the beginning of this year, with all that lies ahead of us, things that we know and the things that we don't know, we place our lives in your hands again. And as hard as it is for most of us, God, We say we want to trust you. So Lord, would you help us? (laughs) Just like that guy in the Bible said to you, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I trust, Lord, help my untrust. Help me to be content. 
with whatever comes at me this year. Thank you, God, that we can trust you, that you are trustworthy, that you prove yourself over and over again. May we live into it this year, Lord. Amen.